Hello, HR professionals. Good news. This episode of the Cool Leaf podcast is valid for 0.5 professional development credits towards SHRM CP, SHRM SCP, and HRCI recertification. Stay tuned to access your certification code. Welcome to The Great Retention, a show spotlighting executive leaders who are building award-winning cultures where people feel empowered, seen, and recognized. I'm your host, John Duesberg, and I co-founded my own company and this podcast with the simple idea that life is short, so why not love the people with whom you work? We have a passion for helping people-first leaders like you connect individuals and teams inside of your organization to create stronger workplace communities and cultures. So whether you're leading a small business or a large enterprise, fully distributed or in the office, welcome to our community here at The Great Retention. In this episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Demetrius White Cheatham. We explore how GitHub's innovative approach to open sourcing knowledge and building a vibrant community shapes the future of DEI and tech. Demetrius shares insights into GitHub's transition to a fully remote company and its impact on fostering diversity and inclusion on a global scale. We also delve into the four pillars of GitHub's DEI strategy, people, philanthropy, policy, and platform. It's an eye-opening conversation that reveals the power of collaboration and community in driving positive change. So without further ado, let's dive into this insightful interview with Demetrius as we explore the potential of open sourcing DEI strategy for lasting impact in the tech industry. Welcome to another episode of The Great Retention. I am so excited uh, for for you to be joining us, Demetrius. So thank you so much uh, for carving out time and just being willing to share all about your experience leading uh, the DEI strategy at GitHub. But thank you and welcome today. No, thank you so much, John, for having me here. I'm really excited for this conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's dive in. Um, and I think most most folks probably know about GitHub, but but for those who don't, give us a quick flyover, you know, about the organization, but also for what you're you're focused on and managing from a leadership perspective, number of employees. I know you mentioned remote first, but give our audience just a little bit of overview about about GitHub and your role and and what that looks like. Sure. Uh, in the simplest terms, GitHub is a platform for developers by developers. Um, we have about 100 million developers on GitHub. Um, 90 of the Fortune 100 are customers. And we basically provide the platform for developers to accelerate human um, progress. Um, we draw on our own experiences using GitHub to build GitHub. Uh, we have 3.5 billion total contributions. That's the amount of code that's on our platform in and of itself. And so um, we have about a little under 2,000 employees. We are a remote first company, meaning that we're remote by default. Uh, we did have about five or six offices around the world, but in the last few months, uh, we actually, our CEO made the announcement that we're closing all of our offices. So we will be 100% remote um, really shortly. And so when the pandemic hit and a lot of people were, you know, trying to figure out how does this remote thing work, we were already doing it. This is natural to us. This is a part of our culture. And so that's one of the things that um, 
makes us truly be the home for all developers because we have people all around the world um, that are helping us here internally to build that platform for developers. Wow, you were ahead of the game uh, for sure. Um, so, okay, so, so you know, around 2,000 employees all around the world, you know, 100% remote. Um, and so tell us a little bit about, you know, your leadership role leading the DEI strategy for GitHub, but also, you know, talk to us a little bit about the culture of GitHub, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the develop, I mean, I, I think, you know, maybe for folks who aren't, you know, coders and, and developers, you know, what they may think, you know, what that culture might be, but talk to us a little bit about that and talk to us a little bit about how the DEI strategy um, supports that culture, influences that culture, leads that culture. So that would, that would be really, really helpful to learn too. That's a lot packed into one Yeah, question, no, I just Bob, gave you a lot there. So as the head of um, the diversity, equity, and inclusion at GitHub, my role is to create a cohesive strategy that aligns across our, um, our four pillars. We call them the four Ps. That's people, which is our HR. That's traditional diversity and inclusion that everyone's familiar with. But we also have it embedded across our social impact, which is our philanthropy, our policy, and our platform, as I mentioned, just encompasses over 100 million developers. And so we have amazing leaders that leads the body of work across all of those four Ps. But I tend to lean my efforts more around increasing diversity, equity, and inclusion on our platform. This is something that I felt that um, if you start influencing diversity, equity, and inclusion across a platform of 100 million people, that's when you start seeing generational shifts. That's when you start making like a huge impact, even beyond the four walls of your company. Um, speaking of the four walls, uh, you asked about culture. And I want to take a step back first and just say, how do I define culture? So in its most simplistic terms, I always say that culture is like the vibe of the company. It's the pulse. It's that secret sauce that makes the company unique. I, you know, it's not this thing that you can actually touch. Um, I say it's embedded in every single thing you do, from the walls to the halls to the people and to the processes. I think I like these P's a lot, right? Yeah, um, I love it. And, you know, and some of the things that I say is necessary for building a strong culture, I would say the number one thing is just trust. Like I, I say trust, you have to have it. And it's trust from a couple of different perspectives. From the employee perspective, the, you know, employees have to trust that this system, this culture that they're walking into, that it's going to take care of them, that it's going to, you know, make them feel like they belong. They're going to get meaningful work and opportunities to contribute. And most importantly, that the culture is going to be so that they have the tools that they need to succeed and thrive. Now, on the flip side of this, and this is that practical that you were asking about, leadership has to trust the culture, too. They have to trust that the culture that they created, like it, it also has an environment where employees can do the best work of their lives because they have to be able to produce maximum results for customers and shareholders. We've seen tons of times amazing companies that have this culture. Everybody loves to come to work. It's fun and all those things. But then the next thing you know, it goes bankrupt because they were having fun at work. The culture was, was amazing, but they weren't doing the things that they needed to do to keep the lights on. So that system of, of that culture, it has to be that balance there where employees can trust it as well as the employer can trust it so that they're actually both getting what they need. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And, you know, I don't think that I know a lot of leaders I don't I talk to, I I I, I 
understand the importance around trust, but I haven't heard it necessarily with the leaders have to trust it as well, right? And I think that's a really interesting point because if if that's not there, I think it's hard for the employee to have that, feel that trust as well. I mean, it, it's, you know, I know that, you know, if I'm not authentic, it it people pick up on that right away, right? And authentic, you know, that that comes, I think, you know, from from me trusting in what we've built in this team and this culture. And so I think that's a really interesting point. And then the other thing, um, Demetrius, that you you shared, so the the four Ps, um, uh, so so people, platform, philanthropy, social impact, and, and policy, um, but you're leaning on platform, right? And this is what I think of in terms of just scaling, you know, the potential impact, right? That can you can have, and and we all as leaders have a platform. Our organizations have a platform, but I think a lot of times we don't. We may not even be thinking about it that way. We're we're thinking about it, hey, like maybe for my team, which by the way, you've got two thousand employees. I mean, that's a big, that's a good sized team, right? But over a hundred million, you know, people in the platform, right? And so it's just a different scale. So I think that's really interesting about for even me, right? Just challenging my thinking, right? How do I think bigger in terms of the impact that 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 I can make? So so I love that, and I want to take it a step further. So talk to us about. You know, how have you leaned into this platform when it comes to your DEI strategy? Right, talk to us a little bit about maybe some examples. Help 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 us understand what that you know what that looks like. Yeah, so a couple of things. One was just with the creation of the DEI strategy. So when I came to GitHub, they you know they said, oh, we need you to go and create this strategy. And so I was thinking, you know, how it's been you know in other companies that I might have joined that nothing was being done. That I would have to spin up all these things like it was net news introduction. But when I came into GitHub and I did an assessment, the first thing that I noticed was they were already doing the work. The work was already being done. It just wasn't labeled in, you know, typical diversity, equity, and inclusion terminology. And so the only thing I did was just repackage it in a strategy so that everyone knew that. I always say this, and I kind of say it tongue in cheek. I say, if I go into an organization and I do my job well, I should actually talk myself out of a job. I should work myself out of a job. GitHub, I am happy with my job. This is not me. I still got work to do, so don't take it too far. Okay, okay. But what the reason why I say that is that it should come to life in everything that everyone does around the company. And so when I say that we center the platform, I think it's important for companies to center their diversity, equity, and inclusion to the core mission of who they are. And so at GitHub, our commitment was to be the home for all developers. And the first thing that I said was, you can't be the home for all developers if you're not diverse, diverse, if you're not inclusive. So the first thing I did was centered our platform so that when you look at our, you know, our, you know, the picture that we have for the four P's, it's almost like I call it a helicopter propeller. The platform is in the middle and then you have those other three P's centered around it so that when we're making decisions about what we should be doing, the products and services we should be launching, the, the you know, demographics that we should be serving, the policy that we should be thinking about, the causes that we should be supporting with our philanthropy, it has to come back to that center, to that platform. And so that's one of the things that we did was just making sure that what we do is aligned to our mission. And I think that's a key takeaway that many companies could look at. I see so many companies trying to be something that they're not in the name of diversity and inclusion. You have tech companies spinning up universities and things like that. You know what I mean? Their own version of 
They're not education companies. And so that's where you see a lot of failed efforts, or I shouldn't even say failed. It's just um, lots of resources that are expended with not the maximum impact that could be had if you partner with the right people that that's what they do on a daily basis. And so one of the things that I've, I've done is created a program or actually a community called All In. And the object of All In is to open source diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's to bring stakeholders from all across the industry to come to the table and do what they do best. We have the platform, we have the communities. And so now what we're doing is partnering with organizations that do other things well, and we're bringing the people to them. And so that's the way we look at it with, you know, open source and diversity and inclusion. We're not working on the strategy by ourselves. We have philanthropists, we have foundations, we have other companies, companies who are competitors to each other. We have the university system. We have other key leaders across the industry that are all working together collectively on this initiative. Yeah, it's uh, so so. It's so interesting what what you're saying, Dimitri. So it's open source DEI strategy, right? And and what I love about that is, um, you know, probably, you know, for whatever reason, you know, maybe there's this sense like we got to like go at it alone, or we've got to, you know, figure everything out, you know. And 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 but but the the truth is is that there's a lot we can learn from other leaders, other organizations, and if we can open that up, right? Uh, open source. I mean, wow, you can just you know, you can, you can significantly grow the impact, you know, that, that you're having and using your platform, you know, aligning it back to your, you know, the mission of, of GitHub being an open source platform. Um, I, I love that. And it, it, it actually makes me, it, it goes so well with just, you know, why we do this podcast, right? We want to open source people first, you know, people, you know, centric ideas and leaders so that they can, you know, help other leaders be, be, you know, more proactive with their teams. So love the concept. Um, I think that that's a huge lessons learned that any leader can, can take is, Hey, you know, how do I open source these things that are working and how do I learn and bring in other, you know, what, what's working in other places so that we can have the, the greatest impact possible. But to your point, it needs to be aligned back to our mission as an organization, right? We, you know, otherwise we will, you know, maybe spend some resources and not have the the greatest impact. So, um, so love that, love that. So, okay. So, and give us a little bit of, you know, a little more context. So how long have, have you, has GitHub been, been kind of on this open source DEI, you know, strategy and, and what's maybe some of the impact or the results that you've seen so far? Sure. So uh, we launched All In, um, which is the name of the program, All In, um, in 2021. So a little over two years now, and I can't even believe that. I know. The first thing, <laughs> the first thing we did was we had to understand where we were. Um, there was some data that was out there, very minimal data that people had gleaned from a survey. Um, and it was just focused on gender, how many women were in the industry. And that's about it. So we couldn't even hold ourselves accountable or even know the progress we made or progress we still needed to make until we had data. And so the first thing we did was author a survey, um, the most comprehensive survey ever done, DEI across the entire open source ecosystem. And it's important that I call that out because 
with a platform of 100 million developers, it's easy for us to run a survey, right? And get a very good representative sample. But one of the things that I pointed out quickly was GitHub is a major player in the open source ecosystem, but we're not the only player. There's so many other places where people find community, other platforms, and if we're truly serious about making a difference across the entire industry, we can't just keep that to ourselves. It's exactly the same point we were just making around open sourcing it. And so we partner with the Linux Foundation, uh, which kind of sits in that kind of, you know, that, that centralized place, even in a way that we can't do. And we partner with them to run the survey. And through that survey, we captured over 7,000 voices. We had over 7,000 people. Uh, we actually had over 12,000 people that responded to it, but 7,000 were the ones that completed it and gave us the qualified you know, responses that we needed. And so that gave us a lot of indication. And that's open source. We open sourced the questions. We made it so that if anybody wants to run this same survey in their individual communities that they, they could. So we had that. The second thing we did was realize quickly from the survey is that maintainers are, you know, some of the most influential people when it comes to influencing diversity and inclusion within open source. So maintainers um, to an open source community is like the manager to a team. And so what I always say is that you can create so many amazing corporate, you know, trainings and require people to go to training every year and all these, you know, privilege and, and you know, unconscious bias trainings. But if your employees take those trainings and they go back to their, you know, day to day in their team and it's not an inclusive environment, then those trainings don't mean anything. And it's that manager that really sets that tone and that culture of those day to day interactions. That's exactly what a maintainer does for a community. So we realized that that's where we really needed to start. And I said, well, before we start there, we have to hear from them. Um, you know, we have this saying at GitHub is that we create and build diversity and inclusion with hubbers, not for hubbers. And so we said we needed to do the same thing for maintainers. We need to build something with them, not for them. And so we embarked on a maintainers listening tour interviews, individual interviews. We had in-person focus groups, virtual focus groups. We had an online forum for anybody that couldn't make it to both of those. We heard from over 300 maintainers on what's working, what's not working, what are the gaps, what are the challenges, um, you know, what would they like to see in a program that's there to support them with creating an inclusive environment within their community and from that, we were able to launch All In for Maintainers, which is a whole series of initiatives and programs specifically for maintainers. And then the last and certainly not least piece, because this is the one that I talk about the most, we launched All In for Students. And All In for Students was giving students an opportunity to be exposed to open source and to learn about open source. Um, what we found is that there were still a lot of barriers with people of color, especially those that attended minority serving institutions here in the U.S. And we're talking your historically black colleges and universities, your Hispanic serving institutions, women's colleges, and even community colleges. And so we started with a pilot last year, 30 students. We gave them technical training. We gave them an introduction to open source, just learning the language and the vocabulary. Um, they had to complete a technical project with our partner, Major League Hacking. And we also gave them career development, professional development, because we all know that the tech industry is a different industry. 
So we can teach you those technical skills, but if you don't know all of those things that, you know, what do you do when you're the only one on the team? How do you give, you know, and get really good feedback? How do you negotiate your offer? How do you leverage employee resource groups? All of those things that quite frankly, we all wish we had known when we first started out. So we did all of that. And the goal was to get these students prepared for an internship with our corporate partners. These were, uh, you know, Fidelity, Microsoft, Cisco, Intel, Red Hat. Um, and I'm, I feel like I'm missing one here and I'll come back to that one. But the whole goal, these were companies that were not looking at these students. They were not going to these schools. And every student that completed that pilot, they went on to get an internship at one of these top leading companies that they would never have been given that opportunity. And so over half of our students received internship offers for the next summer. Several of them received full-time um, employment opportunities. There was one student that we had that said that they never thought they could be a developer because their computer science department really didn't offer a lot of programming classes. Through all in, he was able to switch his summer internship from being a project manager to, act, you know, in project management to software development. And he's now a full-time software developer at his employer, uh, you know, upon graduation. And so those are some of the success stories that we saw just during the pilot. And this year, we said we got to scale, like we did a nice 30 person pilot because we wanted to be thoughtful about how we built it. Our goal was this year to scale it by um, 10x to 300 students. We actually have 405 students in the wow, program. Wow, okay. Um, 112 universities represented. Um, over, I think about 75% of the students attended, you know, exactly what I just said, an HBCU, Hispanic Servant Institution or community college. So we're seeing so much amazing, amazing progress um, in that we're seeing students that are changing majors because we did open it up to all majors. We're seeing community college students that's going on and, um, you know, going to four-year universities. Uh, we're seeing boot camps. Over half of our students participated in their first hackathon ever. Um, just, you know, really just having an expansive view for, you know, providing access to those who've kind of been left behind a little bit in open source. Yeah, no, I love the stories and, and the, you know, just the, the journeys that have been impacted in these people's lives. Right. Um, and, you know, going back, I mean, so you shared, that was, that was awesome to me. So you shared some wonderful stories and, but going back and, and you said you started with data, right? You needed to have a baseline, right? And just understanding where are we today, right? Before you can make any strategy or decisions, it's where are we today, right? And so I love how you, you know, zeroed in on that. Like, hey, let's let's get the data, right? Because I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about like other leaders, how are they going to, you know, take this forward, right? And so, hey, let's start, let's find out where we are today. You know, good, bad, anything in between. Let's at least know, right? And then, then you made another point, which I thought was really interesting. Um, you you say maintainers, right? Um, but in other industries, it's it's managers, right? And it's saying like we've got to we got to focus on our people leaders, our managers, and or in your world, the maintainers, right? And and so that has to be part of any strategy um, to to be sustainable. Um, and so so I love that. And then. You know, it's just the the theme I'm getting is like, hey, we might start small with a pilot, but then it's like, how do we scale? How do we, 
how do we leverage this platform? And, um, and, you know, you just, you know, shared the story about starting with 30 students and now, you know, 400. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm just soaking it in and, and, you know, the stories here. Yeah. And I have to say something, you know, uh, about data, data and I, we have a complicated relationship. (laughs) I think I'll call it that. Um, You know, definitely need the data to just kind of set a baseline to see where you are. But I always issue a, a, you know, and it's probably might be an unpopular opinion, but just this cautionary warning about DEI and data. So I'm just going to take and keep it in the tech industry and tech we're engineers. We love data. And part of the reason why we love data is we see the data, we can quickly analyze and see what the issues are. We can write a quick script or a solution, ship it, and then voila, we, we fixed it. Like, let's move on to the next thing. But I always tell engineers, human work doesn't work that way. And DEI is human work. I've seen so many people trying to do those quick fixes and those quick scripts and that quick program, and then they get one, it actually causes more harm than good, or two, you realize it just didn't work. And so I also see a lot of DEI professionals, and I have to coach and mentor a lot of people on this, where they're calling me and say, my leaders keep asking me for data, and I keep giving them data, and they keep making up all these data requests. And so sometimes data and requests for data can be an amazing excuse for inaction. Because if I can keep you chasing your tail for data on how, how many women um, left the org on a Wednesday, um, like, well, how many leave during the month of February? And that, you know what I mean? They just want you to constantly splice the data. And it's almost like they're saying they can't get a complete picture to move and do anything until you give them. And so I'll see these scorecards that have like a million pieces of data on it and you can't glean any insight from it. And I was like, what is this really doing? And so I say, Get some data so that you can make some informed decisions. Get enough data, but you don't have to have that perfect data set in order to move. Sometimes I'll tell a leader that constantly asks me for data. I was like, you know what? I need you to do me a favor first. Your next, you know, all hands or get together or all, you know, org meeting that you have, have everybody turn their cameras on. And then I want you to look at what you see on your screen and then come back to me and tell me what you think think some of the issues or or opportunities you might have before you. More often than not, when a leader takes me up on that challenge, the data confirms what they're able to see just with their eyes. So I did not need to go spinning, you know, and creating all these Tableau dashboards for you to see if you just take a real honest look at what you have in front of you. And so that's why I say I always issue that cautionary tale because I've seen data like, I can't do anything unless I have the data. I was like, yeah, you actually can. That's a great. That's a great point. I'm so glad that you you brought that up um, because I think that it is kind of a natural reaction to say, "Hey, we need the data, right?" Mm-hmm. Um, but and which which I which I get. I understand. I mean, you want to make informed decisions, but at the same time, you know, it, it, you know, it shouldn't. It sh- you know, the, it's what what is the uh, you know the it's like you you can't analysis paralysis. It's like you can't. Mm-hmm let that get in the way of having, of moving forward. Right. right. And, um, I know, you know, in the, in the startup world, um, which I'm sure, you know, you, you know, very well too, you know, sometimes like you, you gotta, you gotta, you know, sometimes you got to ship product and it's not fully baked and it's not done. And, but you're, 
you know, you're, you're, you're moving forward and you're continuing to iterate, you're continuing to evolve. And that's part of the, the learning process. So I'm really glad you brought that point up. Um, I think that's a really meaningful, uh, you know, uh, lesson learned, um, yeah, you know, because, for the strategy. Because if you don't have perfect data, you just have to have a really strong feedback loop. Like I'll go out with something and, and tell our employees or even people in the open source ecosystem, we are going to ship something in a, um, in a couple of weeks. And I say, we're piloting this. We want to know it's not perfect, but we want to know how does this land? Is it solving what you needed to do? Is it causing some unintentional consequences that we don't know? We need that from you. That's part of that whole thing, building with and not for. And so that's one of the ways that you can do that because a lot of times people won't ship, especially diversity and inclusion work, because you know, we have this call out culture or this cancel culture, and that's the quickest way to get you in the news if you're having like a really bad DEI, um, you know, initiative that's launched. But that's where that culture of trust comes in, that trust in the culture where um, it, they trust that you have the best of intentions. You brought them along in the process and in the journey. They're not surprised by anything. And then they see themselves as a true partner with you to making it better for everyone. And so that's where like that. I always say you always have to have the data, but you also need that sentiment because sometimes what people are telling you, the data just doesn't give you that complete picture. And that's why as part of All In, we launched the survey as well as the listening tour. And that's something that I would strongly advise people to do. That's This is great. Great lessons learned. Great, great insight here. Um, Demetrius, and so thank you so much for, for joining um, you know, us on the show today. You know, as we wrap up, you know, one of the things that... We, and you and you've already shared you know several insights that I think that that people can absolutely you know use and apply you know to their teams. But you know we always like to give a kind of a practical next step takeaway, you know key lesson learned. Um, as we wrap up today, is there any you know any particular insight that comes to mind that you know you can leave our audience with that perhaps they can they can take back to their team organization and have impact, um, you know, uh, right away. Yeah, absolutely. I would say the number one thing is to listen to your people. Just listen. And quite honestly, that's the part of the job that most people are saying. It takes so much time and you can't scale that if you're constantly listening. Make the time to do it. You cannot build an effective culture um, if you're not listening to your people. And it's a constant rotation. It's that strong feedback loop that I was mentioning a few uh, moments ago. Um, I always say that my job as a DEI you know, leader is to have communication just flowing throughout the entire organization. Nothing scarier to me than when an organization goes quiet. Like that's, that actually makes me nervous. And my job is to make sure that the, com the communication is constantly flowing. Um, because you always have to keep a pulse on your people and engagement surveys, as I just mentioned, it doesn't sometimes accurately reflect, um, you know, where people are. Because people's concerns a year ago is totally different than what they were six months ago, than what they're facing now. Just the industry, just the world has changed so much. And like, think about it, 2022 or 2020 wasn't that far ago. Yeah. But, right. Yeah, and no, but think it's, about yeah, all right. of the, the pandemic and well-being and burnout and the newness of a remote culture, the racial inequities and social injustice with the murder of George Floyd. You had a lot of things going on in the world politically. 
Um, now you have, you know, just the massive layoff. You had the great resignation, right? Where employees were like, oh my, I mean, employers were like really scared. Now you have all these layoffs and the economic uncertainty and now employees. All of those things, you have to make sure that your culture is such that it can adjust to all of that. And if you're not listening, you're missing some key insights. So listen, listen, listen. And then when you communicate back out what you've heard, make sure to keep it simple. In diversity and equity and inclusion, there's so much vocabulary that's being used for some of the things that, you know, we've been talking about for years. They're just putting a different wrapping on it. But if you're communicating and people can't understand what you're saying because you're using new terminology, you're not doing your job very well. Like people should be able to understand what you're saying in the simplest terms. And even me as a DEI professor, there's new terms that are coming out. It seems like every week or every month, I can't even keep up. And this is what I do on a day-to-day a, a -day basis. So you can't expect your employees to keep up with all those things as well. So keep it simple. This is not the time to flex your vocabulary. So listen and then communicate out what you've heard and then use that to actually build the things that you need for your employees to do the best work of their lives. Love this. Love it so much, Demetrius. Thank you again so much for just sharing your, your real world experience, right? So what you've learned along your journey. And um, I appreciate so much you being willing to share that with other leaders so that they can, you know, that they can, they can take this and apply and, and really elevate the employee experience inside of their organization. So thank you again for, for being part of the show today. Thank you. And thank you for having me, John. That wraps up another edition of The Great Retention. Thank you for joining us and being a leader who genuinely cares about recognizing and empowering the everyday hero and the team members around you. We are proud to support your leadership journey and grateful for your support of this podcast. If you haven't already, please rate the show on Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. This helps us get this content in front of more aspiring people-first business leaders. If you'd like more perspectives on how to create exceptional cultures around award-winning talent, go to coolleaf.com and sign up for our newsletter to get them straight into your inbox two times per month. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the help from our production team at Chat With Leaders Media. Learn how you can launch your own podcast to grow your business at chatwithleaders.com. Thanks again for listening. Now go be people first leaders by celebrating and connecting your people today. HR professionals, thanks for listening. As promised, this episode of the Cool Leave podcast is valid for 0.5 professional development credits towards SHRM CP, SHRM SCP, and HRCI recertification. To claim your SHRM credit, please visit www.coolleaf.com slash podcast slash SHRM. To claim your HRCI credit, please visit www.coolleaf.com slash podcast slash HRCI. Complete the three-question form to receive your certification code. That's coolleaf.com slash podcast slash SHRM and coolleaf.com slash podcast slash HRCI.